What is happening? This is Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World in Sports. Just giving you a preview of what I'm going to be speaking about today on my podcast. Before I do, though, just go over to where you listen to your favorite podcast. You type in W-E-N-D-E-L-L apostrophe S, World in Sports, and you download, you rate, you follow, you subscribe, you give me them five stars and listen to the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, Wendell's World in Sports. If you could do that for me, Damn, what I love that so damn much. Today on my podcast, week eight in the NFL. Man, who's good in the AFC? Other than the Buffalo Bills, is it the Cincinnati Bengals after losing to the New York Jets? Is it the Los Angeles Chargers after losing to the New England Patriots? Is it the, oh, I don't know, the Kansas City football team after barely beating the New York Giants? Is it the Tennessee Titans now that Derrick Henry is out of the picture? Is it the Indianapolis Colts with Carson Wentz? Is it the Las Vegas Raiders? Who in the world is going to be standing out amongst the leaders in the AFC? I'm going to be speaking about that in the NFC. We don't have to worry about who are the best teams in that division. We've got the Tampa Tom Buccaneers. We have the Dallas Cowboys. We have the Los Angeles Rams. We have the Arizona Cardinals. We have the Green Bay Packers, and now does the move to get Von Miller put the Los Angeles Rams over the top? What about the Arizona Cardinals? They lose one game to the Green Bay Packers, and all of a sudden now they're going to be talked about as yesterday's news in terms of true championship contender material. I'll go ahead and I'll speak about that in the NFL, some other news. Of course, the NBA I want to get into, and of yes, college football, the nonsense, the stupidity, the College football rankings, the new ones are out, so I'll be giving my thoughts and opinions about the most flawed way that anybody can talk about having a true playoff where you can determine who a champion is in your sport. So, Wendell's World in Sports, you download, you rate, you review, you subscribe, you follow, again, the most passionate, the most unique, the most talked about, the most thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, and remember... Without question, without a shadow of a doubt, Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, is run on 100% soul power. So with that being said, let's go ahead and let's get this party started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today. In the world of sports, what is happening? K Pasa, mi amigos, mi llamo Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, so doggone glad that you could be with us. Good morning, good morning, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Namaste, konnichiwa, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us, speaking about what's happening in the world of sports on a daily basis. Before I begin, let me always, as I always do, ask you, what's happening, man? How you doing? You feeling all right? Are you doing everything that needs to be done? In the last 
time that I put down a podcast, the last time that you heard my podcast, have you done anything to go ahead and try to move this world, to move your block, to move your society, to move your household, to move your loved ones, to move your place of employment, to move the place where you worship? Have you done anything to see what you can do through learning, listening, educating? Shut up! Drop the privilege, drop the ignorance, listen, learn, educate yourself, listening to folks who may not look like you, folks who might come from a different side of the world than you, folks who might revere another person than you, folks who worship another God than you, folks who date a different gender than you, folks who come from a different race than you. Are you doing everything that needs to be done to learn, to educate, to understand, to respect those people? So even though it's too late for us to live in the society that we should be living in, is it, if we're not going to be doing it for ourselves, do it for our children, their children, their children, their children, moving this world in the right direction through love, peace, unity, harmony, understanding, judging people only by their character, not on their race, religion, creed, color, gender, or anything else. Man, I sure hope that we're doing that. Drop the ignorance, drop the stereotypes, shut up, listen, and learn. Have that different, have that difficult conversation because the difficulty is only when you ignore the folks around us and you continue to live in blanket ignorance. Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Recording this on a late Tuesday night. Just came back from watching the girls' uh, soccer team for where I'm substituting out there in Mesquite. So I went down about, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes down the road and watched them uh, perform. Uh, a couple of the girls have been helping me out greatly in a couple of classes that I've been substituting in. Seniors who have been putting those freshmen in place without any hesitation, doing a great job helping me out with that. So I returned a favor by going ahead and watching them play soccer. They were awesome. Good job, ladies. So coming back late, really hadn't had a chance to watch any of the uh, World Series or anything like that. I'll be hitting on that uh, very quickly at the end of the podcast. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to be mainly talking again about the NFL, talking about the AFC competition, talk about the faltering of the Cincinnati Bengals, talk about what's going on with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City football team, talk about the trade with the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Rams in which the Rams acquired Von Miller. What did that mean for the Rams moving forward? What did that mean for the other teams, the elite football teams in the NFC? What did that trade mean? What impact did that trade have on not only the Rams, but also for the Teams like the Tampa Tom Buccaneers, like the Green Bay Aaron Rodgers, like the Arizona Kyler Murrays. Um, what does it mean for those guys, the Dallas Dak Prescotts? What does it mean for those teams moving forward? And also with college football, the initial playoff rankings are out. I've got my thoughts and feelings about that also and tackle some other things near the end of the podcast. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that we could be with you, that I could be with you. But before we go ahead and discuss those things that I just mentioned, this uh, came across the Newswire um, Tuesday afternoon. So let me just go ahead and say this, that the Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Henry Ruggs was involved in a serious uh, car crash in Vegas on Tuesday morning that resulted in the death of one person. According to police, Ruggs Chevrolet... Uh, Corvette collided into the rear of a Toyota RAV4, resulting in the death of a person inside. Now, a statement which was released by the Las Vegas Metro Police Department, it said, on November 2nd at approximately 3.39 a.m., the LVMPD 
responded to a traffic collision near the intersection of South Rainbow Boulevard and South Spring Valley Parkway involving a Chevrolet Corvette and a Toyota RAV4. Responding officers located the Toyota on fire. Fire department personnel responded and located a deceased victim inside the Toyota. Flipping horrible. The preliminary investigation indicates the front of the Chevrolet collided with the rear of the Toyota. The driver of the Chevrolet and identified as 22-year-old Henry Shrugs III remained on the scene and showed signs of impairment. He was transported to UMC Hospital to be treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Rugs will be charged with DUI, resulting in death. This is an ongoing investigation. So, according to police, that Rugs will be charged with DUI, resulting in death. There are no details available regarding how the crash happened or what injuries Rugs sustained, and that the investigation is ongoing. It's not clear when Rugs will be charged, but in Nevada, DUI resulting in the death of a person carries a prison sentence of 2 to 20 years. So, I want to kind of hold off on my judgment, other than to say that if it's true that, you know, this man, Henry Ruggs III, was drinking impaired in any way, shape, or form, resulting in the death of this person, uh, put him in prison. Put him in prison where he belongs. Not talking about throw the not talking about throw the uh, put him in prison and throw away the key. I'm not doing that, but uh, some type of uh, harsh disciplinary action needs to be taking place. And if you're the NFL moving forward, man, you're almost kind of hoping that uh, Ruggs does get some jail time. I mean, who cares about? I'm not even going to speculate or get into or give my thoughts and opinions because I really don't have any right now about the quote unquote career of Henry Ruggs III as far as being employed by the Las Vegas Raiders as a wide receiver. I, I, I don't know anything in terms of, you know, what's going to be happening with this. I'm, I'm quite sure, of course, that the Raiders are not going to be playing him. Um, and moving forward, I know innocent until proven guilty, but man, in a situation like this where, you know, he was involved in a situation where someone got killed, uh, to put him back on a football field, not only is it bad PR, it's just bad every way, every which way. And when we're speaking about the NFL, who is trying to do everything humanly possible to try to get themselves into a good image in terms of more of a squeaky clean image, really nothing that the NFL can do to really taint their product to where it's going to have some type of serious backlash among the viewers. Um, I don't think Henry Rose could have gone out and gone John Wayne Gacy on a couple of folks. He could have gone out and done a, gone out and done a, Lyle and Eric Melendez, Melendez on somebody. This is still the NFL. People still care mainly about their fantasy teams. They care mainly about their football team. They care mainly about uh, their 16 parlays. So um, if Henry Ruggs can do something that can have them win their fantasy league or put some more money on their pocket in their pocket because it's important that the Raiders cover or the Raiders uh, get on the over and Henry Ruggs can do those things. If if uh, that that's more important for a lot of folks out there who are watching uh, NFL football games in terms of, you know, what can Henry Ruggs do for me rather than, hey, you know, after what happened, maybe we should kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe put him down indefinitely. Uh, just a bad look. So I'm I'm not saying that if the Raiders just decided, hey, you know, innocent until proven guilty and um, in a couple of weeks when he's healed up, uh, we can go ahead and put him back into the lineup because after all, we're 5-2 and two in the AFC West. We're leading the AFC West. And with everything that went down, 
that it would be fantastic if we could go ahead and win that division and get ourselves into the playoffs. And if Henry Ruggs can go ahead and help us accomplish that goal, well, that little detail of him killing somebody because he was driving drunk, uh, well, let's kind of just kind of put that on the back burner, kick that can down the road until we have to uh, deal with it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the Raiders don't do that. But if the Raiders did do that, um, what would be the backlash here in the Valley? Probably not much. I mean, of course, you get some folks who would be pissed off. Advertising-wise, I don't know what kind of hit it would be. I'm quite sure there'd be one or two um, minor sponsors who might uh, feel umbrage with that. But um, is this going to lead to some type of, uh, I don't know, like, you know, everybody now is going to hate the Raiders in Vegas and all those type of things of Ruggs plays? No, but I just think, again, moving on, let's put Henry Ruggs on the shelf. And if it's true, if he was impaired because of alcohol which caused the death of this person um he doesn't need to be playing football again ever because he needs to be spending i don't know about another 10 15 years in prison for what he did so those are my thoughts and opinions again it's an ongoing investigation so until i figure out until i find out a little bit more information i can maybe give you a little bit more detailed thoughts and opinions but you know right off the bat it's just Making a mistake like that, because causing the death of somebody, and again, with the NFL, with all of their problems, I can't imagine that Henry Ruggs is going to be playing football anytime soon, if ever, not just for the Las Vegas Raiders, but also for uh, any team in the NFL, so I, it's not as grisly, it's not as ghastly, it's not as devious, it's not as horrible as Aaron Hernandez, but I mean, you know, when you're speaking about an employee of an NFL franchise, DUI, death of another person, 3.39 in the morning on a Monday night, Tuesday morning, whatever you want to take a look at. Not good. Not good at all, of course. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. With that being said, let's go ahead and get to um, some things which happened in week eight of the NFL. Remember last week, and if you didn't listen to my podcast last week, what the fuck is the matter with you, man? Go ahead, you download, you subscribe, you rate, you review, you follow Wendell's World in Sports, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, apostrophe S, World in Sports. You listen to the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast, and you hear me the week before glow, glowing and going on and on and on and on and on about them Cincinnati Bengals talking about, well, where are they sitting at the hierarchy of the AFC and what an awesome victory by the Bengals over the Baltimore Ravens and Joe Burrow is talking about MVP consideration and Jamar Chase, not only the NFL Rookie of the Year, but already being regarded as one of the elite receivers in the NFL and that defense, the numbers don't bear out how really good they are and Zach Wilson looking like he's going to save his job and oh my goodness gracious and this is not your, you know, Mike Brown, this is not your Icky Woods, this is not your uh, uh, Kid Anderson, this is not your Paul Brown, Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, this is a situation where, hey, we could be looking, ran down some of the teams the next five or six weeks, which Bengals were going to be playing after 13 games. I said, hey man, best case scenario, best case realistic scenario you could be looking at the Cincinnati Bengals being 13 being 13 and 3 and worst case scenario you could be taking a look at the Bengals being 7 and 6 each scenario that I ran through considering the Cincinnati Bengals not one did I have them losing on Sunday to the New York Jets but that's what happened just when we thought the Bengals had turned in, had turned the corner into being a real conference championship contending team 
Wonk, wonk, 34-31 to the New York Jets. Backup Mike White, quarterback uh, Mike White, made his first start in his four-year NFL career. Guess what he did? 37 of 45, 405 yards, three touchdowns. Are you flipping kidding me? Completed his first 11 passes of the game, completed all seven of his pass attempts on the Jets' opening drive that ended up with a Michael Carter touchdown which uh, gave the Jets an early 7-0 lead, and he never stopped from there. It was a Michael Carter touchdown run, but uh, just the tempo, just the speed, just the um, impact that uh, Mike White had and never went away. The two interceptions that he had during the game weren't his fault either. Bounced off the hands of the receiver, one of them being a running back. I I think that both of them might have been running backs, but in any case, this wasn't a situation where Mike... Uh, White made a bad read or or something like that. It was really on the, it, the the onus of the turnover was on the receiver, not the passer. So it was a situation where White was in total control. And against the Jets, you would have to say after that that the Bengals' defense was beyond atrocious. They were Kansas City-like in their ineptitude. They were Atlanta Falcon-like in their ability to give up big plays and having a quarterback throw for mega yards on them. They were inept. They were incompetent. They should be embarrassed by their performance. Defense gave up 511 total yards. 511. New York had 32 first downs, averaged six and a half yards per play, went six of 11 on fourth, uh, third and fourth downs, went four of six in the red zone, and controlled the ball for over 36 minutes. How in the world can we consider the Cincinnati Bengals anywhere close to a playoff team when they're letting the New York Jets dominate them with a backup quarterback like they did? And you're also speaking about a Bengals team during that game that gave gave up the lead, not once, not twice, but three times. They were up 17-7 near the end of the first half, led 24-7 at the end of the third quarter, and had a 31-20 lead. With seven and a half minutes left to go in the game. That's unacceptable. That's inexcusable. And look, I'm sorry. When you're the Cincinnati Bengals, especially under the Zach Wilson era, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Like, say, a team maybe like the Pittsburgh Steelers or moving over to the other conference, a team like the Tampa Tom Buccaneers or the Dallas Cowboys or the uh, Green Bay Packers or one of those squads. I'm sorry, Cincinnati. You, You don't get the benefit of the doubt. You don't get the Kansas City football team benefit of the doubt. You don't get the Buffalo Bills now with uh, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Devin Singletary and those guys. You don't get that type of benefit of the doubt to say, ah, you know what, man, it's just a bad game. You know, hey, those things happen. every Any given Sunday, anything's going to happen. You know, Mike White came in. The book was rather small on what he could do and what he couldn't do. And we could speak about that horrific call, bad call near the end of the game which caused the Bengals to uh, get an opportunity to either tie the game or win the game. If you're speaking about the, if you want me to speak about the two minute, uh, with two minutes left to go in the game, third and 11, White looked to running back Ty Johnson in the flat, threw a pass out to him, but Bengals cornerback Mike Hilton tackled him for a loss, which then should have set the, uh, which should have, you know, gave Cincinnati an opportunity to uh, get the ball because, as I mentioned before, it was third down and 11. But officials flagged Hilton for unnecessary roughness. And anybody who saw that replay, anybody who saw that play, especially when they showed it 14 or 15 different times, it was clear 
that that was not spearing, that that wasn't targeting, that wasn't uh, any type of illegal contact. Hilton and Johnson made helmet-to-helmet contact, yes, on the play, which drew the flag, but replays again showed that Johnson was the one who clearly initiated the contact. It was a horrible call. It was a bad call. And I know Cincinnati Bengal fans are going to sit up, sit up there and talk about that's one of the reasons why, or that's the main reason why you lost the game. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You guys shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. To even be behind to the New York Jets with a backup quarterback, 34-31, and have to rely on an official. Talking about an official's bad call. That's the reason why you lost. That was one of the main reasons why you lost. No. No, no, not when you're giving up 34 points to the Jets, not when you're giving up 511 yards, not when you're having a backup quarterback go throw only eight incompletions on 45 pass attempts. No, not when you're up three times in the game, including with seven and a half minutes to go, 31 to 20. No, no, Joe Burrow throwing an interception, a tip interception by a lineman late in the game with the uh, Bengals up 31-26, which gave the uh, Jets a short field. The old, I don't know what that play was called in terms of the two-point con- two point conversion to uh, give the Jets a 34-31 lead. The uh, same play that the Philadelphia Eagles with Nick Foles uh, ran against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Same th- deal. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you don't get any sympathy from me. You don't get any all shucks from me. You just don't get anything. In terms of that um, bad call made on the unnecessary roughness, you don't do that. Bengals gave up 34 points to the New York Jets. Inexcusable. The offense put up 31, but they should be taking some blame also because they missed a golden opportunity late in the first quarter down 7-0. After an interception brought the ball inside the five-yard line, Cincinnati couldn't score. Not just on first down, not just on second down, not just on third down, but also got sacked on fourth down. Two rushing attempts by Mixon on first and second down, negative yards. Then Jamar Chase, for the second time in that game, dropped the touchdown pass on third down, and Burrow was sacked on fourth down. Inexcusable, unacceptable. So the offense, even with the points that they put up, even with... You know, the amount of touchdowns that they scored, which is fourth in the league, they need to be more consistent because I read the stats on where the Bengals ranked 31st in place per drive and have the second highest three and out percentage in the league. And their minus 71 play differential, which is also the second highest in the league. I'm sorry. I don't give a damn how great your defense is. The Cincinnati Bengals defense is far from great, but I, I don't care how great your defense is. You're talking about a minus 71 play differential through eight games and ranking low in the um, three and out department, three and out percentage department, second uh, lowest in the league or second highest in the league, and ain't going to get it done, man. That means that the defense is going to be out there way, way, way too much, and that doesn't even bring in the times of uh, fumbles or, or interceptions or such. So the Bengals, I mean, you know, if you want to keep that defense off the field as much as possible, again, they're ranked fourth in touchdowns scored, but if you're either going to be scoring, you know, chunk plays, huge plays, big plays for touchdowns, and then talk about, you know, going three and out the rest of the time, which allows the other team to run more plays than the uh, Bengals, that ain't a good thing with the defense that they have. Just not happening. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Waller. So glad that you could be with us. So let me go back to the schedule for the Bungles, for the Bengals. Let me see here. The next few games, they got Cleveland coming off a loss at Pittsburgh. I don't know how Cleveland lost that game. 
especially with Pittsburgh not having a, a, a extra point or field goal kicker. Oish. So after uh, this loss to the Jets, the Bengals go ahead and they play Cleveland. Then they're on their bye. Then they're at the Las Vegas Raiders, the Pittsburgh Steelers at home, the LA Chargers at home, and the San Francisco 49ers at home. Again, on my last podcast, I said that they would be somewhere between 10 and 3 and 7 and 6. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, that Jets loss, ugh. Ugh. I don't know how crushing it's going to be when you're speaking about the team which hasn't had real experience at all in terms of winning National League football games. Don't, don't talk about what Joe Burrow did in uh, college his senior year at LSU. I mean, this is a man who's now started only 18 games in his NFL career. You can't tell me about, you know, how much moxie, how much maturity, how much confidence, how much of those type of things that he's going to have in terms of being able to uh, overcome a loss to the New York Jets. So we, we don't know. We don't know. Zach Wilson, I mean, how much success has he had as the uh, head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals? How is he going to be able to uh, get the Bengals off the match? the mat and uh, have them perform against the bank uh, against the Cleveland Browns because if you take a look at the AFC North standings Baltimore is ahead by half a game in the division they're at five and two so they've already had their bye and the Bengals are a half game ahead of Cincinnati excuse me of uh, Pittsburgh at four and three because Pittsburgh yet has yet to have their uh, Pittsburgh had their had their bye and right now in the AFC North, the Bengals are only one game ahead of Cleveland at four and four. So everything's mumbled. Everything is jumbled. And one winning streak or one losing streak can cause extremes in terms of how good they're going to be, how better their chances are going to be. I mean, I'm sorry if the Bengals go on a three-game loser streak. If they go ahead and then lose to Cleveland and come back and lose to the Raiders, I mean, you could be looking now at the Cincinnati Bengals, who are right now in the playoffs. You could be taking a look at them on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. So, you know, the Bengals have got to get their act together. They got to get their act together fast. So this might be the only time in history of Wendell's world in sports that I'm going to be talking about the Cincinnati Bengals as my lead-in or as my uh, first thought and feelings and emotions and opinions about what they're doing on this podcast but I just wanted to throw that out there man the Cincinnati Bengals only maybe because a little bit of my pride was hurt a little bit of my ego was hurt it's it's almost like you put your faith you put your trust into something and it's like man I want to be that guy where I'm speaking about yeah the Cleveland the Cincinnati Bengals the Cincinnati Bengals I was on the Cincinnati Bengals early in the uh, early in the ball game in terms of the Bengals doing something. I wanted when the Bengals were in the AFC championship game, I wanted to come on and record my podcast and be talking about, I was the guy. I was the guy. I knew it. I knew it when they beat Baltimore and became five and two. I knew it. I knew this was a team that was like, Hey, they've got some things here. I knew Joe Burrow. He was the guy, as I mentioned before, when he was drafted and you spoke about, and you took a look at the resume that Burrow had And you saw that, yeah, he had one awesome season, but one pedestrian season and two others, which he didn't even get on the field hardly because he couldn't beat Dwayne Haskins, who's right now barely hanging on to a string to his NFL career. Couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, goes to uh, LSU. His junior year is like, meh. Then the senior year with Joe Brady as the uh, passing coordinator, the man explodes. 
And it's like, okay, well, you have all that talent around you. You win the Heisman Trophy, fantastic. It's like, okay, what are you going to do now when you go to an organization like the Cincinnati Bengals, who at the time, the only skilled players worth a damn on that franchise was Joe Mixon and A.J. Green. So how is this going to work out? Well, so far in the career of Joe Burrow, it's worked out quite fine. And after that game against the Bengals, excuse me, against the Baltimore Ravens, you know, it was like, hey, man, you know, I'm not saying that uh, Joe Burrow deserves to be, you know, in at the VIP section with quarterbacks like Brady and Rodgers and Murray and those type of quarterbacks who are vying for that MVP award. But I'm thinking just a couple of rows down. I mean, why can't it be someone like a, someone like a, um, Joe Burrow, if he continues to play this way, if he continues to put up the numbers and the Bengals continue to win, why can't it be for serious consideration for the MVP? Why can't it be Joe Burrow? I'm not saying that he would win it, but sometimes just the recognition, the serious conversations that you have to have when you mention, when you list the honorable mentions, they don't talk about how much time and effort and energy that they put into talking about those guys, about where those quarterbacks or running backs or players rank but the fact that Joe Burrow if he continued to play that well he'd be hard to not acknowledge how you know great he has been this year for one week that took a derailment it will be interesting to see if the Cincinnati Bengals can get it back so look I know if the fan base right now in Cincinnati was there in Burrow and Nixon and Zach Taylor and some of those guys on defense came up to him and said, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. The Bengals fan base, the Bengals most fervent fans would sit there and say, sorry is, is a sorry word. It won't mend my broken heart. You lose to the flipping New York Jets. You're losing to the Jets. I might have to go root for, I don't know, the Cleveland Browns to what the Bengals would say, you're leaving me for another our time is at its end. You're telling me, uh, Cincinnati, oh, Cincinnati, but what you say, we still be friends? Remember me, the one who heard you cry, reached out and dry your eyes. Remember me, the one who found you. I wrapped all my football love around you when you were all alone and all your dreams were gone when you were nothing but a tear-stained face. The Cincinnati Bengals and Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase took you in. Now your broken wings are mended and your need for me has ended? You say you must be free? You want to fly away from me? When you were lost in yesterday, I gave you my tomorrow. Now you're leaving me in sorrow and you're telling me that you're sorry? Oh, you must be joking. Hey, wait a minute. That sounds like a pretty good uh, deal to uh, get up and groove to. What do you say about that, Ivy Joe? You're leaving for a Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 
Sorry is a sorry word after all I've done for you. You say I'm sorry, but if you look in my eyes, you'll see I'm sorry too. You got that right. A little Ivy Joe Hunter. That's the original. The Temptations did the song that everybody knows. Sorry is a sorry word. David Ruffin at the lead vocals, but uh, this is my favorite version. There's only a couple of versions of it, but this is my favorite. The original, written by Ivy Joe Hunter for The Temptations to sing. So I guess he went ahead and said, fellas, sing it like this. And uh, what he did was absolutely awesome. So yeah, sorry is a sorry word. After all the love I've given you, Raina. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Going into some storylines coming out of Week 8 into Week 9 of the NFL. Can I ask you a question, man? Because I don't know. I don't know. I've been vacillating on this in terms of who should I put where, who should I put at the number, who's good, who's not good, that, that, and the other. And if you remember from all of my podcasts, and if you haven't heard all of my podcasts, you need to go to your favorite webcast or podcast host and go ahead and type in W-E-N-D-E-L-L apostrophe S World and Sports and go ahead and download, rate, review, subscribe, follow Wendell's World and Sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. And I was saying before, you know, for the first four, five, six weeks of the NFL season, look at it as almost like preseason, glorified preseason. Too many things going on, too early in the season going on. The season just started. We haven't gotten any major injuries during that time. We really can't go ahead and put a narrative on who's going to be doing what, what team is going to be great, what team is not going to be great. Now, now, exceptions for every rule. We knew early on that Detroit was going to stink out loud. We were shocked. I was shocked. You were shocked about how bad Miami was going to be. But still, there's some situations. We knew Urban Meyer, coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence out there, starting quarterback, rookie quarterback, Urban Meyer as the head coach, Urban Meyer as the head coach, Urban Meyer NFL head coach, you knew that the Jacksonville Jaguars weren't going to be contenders for anything except for the bottom of the barrel of the NFL. It it didn't take six to eight weeks to figure that out. So yes, there are some things in terms of, hey, we kind of knew this was going to be happening. So we didn't need to go ahead and take a month and a half or two months to finally go ahead and say this solidly is what I'm thinking about this team moving forward. But for a lot of the teams, for more than half of the team, for the majority of the teams, you got to give them some time to let the season start to marinate a little bit before you start going ahead and saying, okay, this team is going to be great. This team is not going to be great. This team is going to make the playoffs. This team is nowhere going to make the playoffs. This coach is going to be coach of the year. This coach is going to be fired. This quarterback is going to be the NFL MVP. This quarterback is going to be sitting on the bench as someone's back up next season. It takes time for that stuff to happen. So here we are, eight weeks into the NFL. If we were doing a regular NFL season before this one, 16 games, we would have a better understanding halfway through of saying, okay, now we can kind of start to separate the good from the bad, from the elite, from the also-rants and such. And for some teams in the NFC, we can kind of do those things. I mean, we can pretty much safely say that Tampa Bay is really good. We can pretty much say that the Los Angeles Rams, especially now with the acquisition of Von Miller, pretty damn good. Jalen Ramsey still healthy. Aaron Donald still healthy. Matthew Stafford exceeding expectations. Cooper Cup, elite wide receiver. Robert Woods making up a fantastic dynamic duo at the wide receiver position. 
we knew the Rams were going to be good. We thought we were going to be we we thought that the Rams were going to be good, and they turned out to be good. The Green Bay Packers, maybe a little bit of I don't know apprehension, a little bit, maybe a little bit of nervousness about this whole Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded, doesn't want to play for Green Bay anymore. The whole drama that was Aaron Rodgers this offseason. Well. Once he puts on them shoulder pads, once he puts on that helmet, once he puts on that jersey, and he stops asking uh, Jake to give him some great rates from State Farm, if he, once he stops stops asking Jake Farm about the uh, Jake uh, from State Farm about the Rogers rate, the man can play some football, and the Packers are playing some very good football. So there are some teams that yes, now we know that they're going to be in the hunt, the true hunt for that NFC and Super Bowl championship in the AFC, man. I have no flipping idea. I have no idea. Okay, we can go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and safely say as of right now, almost halfway through the season, practically halfway through the season, I'm going to say that the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the AFC. Would you agree Buffalo would be up there? But let me ask you this. If we agree on Buffalo being number one, who are you putting in number two? Because I don't know. I'm looking at these records, and I'm going by conference. Tennessee is the best record in the, you know, AFC is six and two. Then you got the Las Vegas Raiders and the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. They're all at five and two. The Cincinnati Bengals, they're five and three. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Los Angeles Chargers are four and three. The New England Patriots, the Kansas City used to be champions. Cleveland and Denver, they're four and four, and then Indianapolis is three and five. And then you take a look at the bottom of the conference. New York Jets, we knew they stink out loud. They're two and five. Jacksonville, Houston, and Miami are one and seven. So we're taking a look now at the playoff pictures as of week eight. The division leaders in the AFC South, the number one seed would be the Tennessee Titans. Las Vegas Raiders leading the AFC West would be the number two seed. The Baltimore Ravens leading the NFC North by a half a game by week for them. Uh, Cincinnati has played all eight games, so their bye week is coming up. But as of right now, if the season ended today, of course it doesn't end today, but just for argument's sake, just for conversation uh, sake, the Ravens would be the number three seed if the Playoffs started today after eight weeks in the AFC. The Tennessee Titans, number one. The Las Vegas Raiders, number two. Number three, the Baltimore Ravens, leaders of the NFC, excuse me, AFC North, which would be the number three seed. Buffalo, leading the AFC East, is the number four seed. And then you would have the wildcard teams being Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and the Chargers. And the teams on the outside looking in would be the Patriots, would be Cleveland, Denver, Kansas City, and the Colts and we take a look again excuse me Buffalo being the number one seed I think in the AFC but yet when the playoffs would be starting they would be the number four seed the number one seed Tennessee is six and two you know they looked to be pretty good they were looking to be on a roll it was a good win on the road Sunday in overtime 34-31 against the Indianapolis Colts thank you very much Carson Wentz but now we have to take a look and say, all right, now how legit is Tennessee after the injury to Derrick Henry? Suffered potentially season-ending foot injury. He had surgery uh, today, this morning, and on his injured right foot. Today, this morning means Tuesday morning. And he had tests Monday to check on the severity of the injury after he finished uh, Sunday's 34-31 overtime win in Indianapolis. And Coach Mike Vrabel said that the Titans are not putting a timetable on when he will return. So if he goes out and says, yeah, Derrick Henry's going to be back in six weeks or eight weeks, well, then the team that's going to be 
playing for him in six to eight weeks are going to be uh, getting ready to uh, get a Derrick Henry. So if Derrick Henry does have a pretty decent chance to come back in six to eight weeks, why would Mike Vrabel go ahead and uh, advertise that? You might as well keep everything silent and say from week to week. I don't know. I don't know. We we definitely know for the first four, five, six, seven, eight weeks or whatever, he's not going to be coming back. So if he, say for seven or eight weeks, you know, eight weeks from now is starting to feel pretty good. And maybe, 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 what do you think Mike Bravel's going to say? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Derek Henry, King Henry finished with 28 carries, 68 yards, only a two and a half yard average, which was his lowest of the season played in 54 of the 73 offensive snaps. We have no idea exactly when he entered this foot. So all of these statistics that I'm throwing at you, I mean, we're sitting there talking about if he broke his foot on, play number four and played another 50 that's unbelievable if he broke his foot on play number 35 that's still unbelievable the running back death on the titans roster after this injury now yeah i know they went ahead and they re-signed or they signed uh, adrian peterson from the street but as of right now the only running backs on the tennessee titans roster besides now the signed adrian peterson is jeremy nichols and dontrell hillard hilliard I don't know exactly, you know, where, where are we going to be going with the Tennessee Titans here? Now, here's the one thing, okay, for, you know, people, you speak about how important Derrick Henry is to the Tennessee Titans, and we might equate that with some quarterback in terms of their impact on the game. I remember a couple of years ago when the Green Bay Packers were rolling, and then Anthony Barr of the Minnesota Vikings decided to uh, fall on Aaron Rodgers and separate his shoulder, which then led to the rule change saying that the defender cannot fall on top of a quarterback in any malicious way. If that's the case, that's going to be a 15-yard penalty. But my whole point of the matter is, at the time, Green Bay looked like one of the teams that could win a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers goes down. Brett Hundley all of a sudden becomes the quarterback, and down the toilet goes the Green Bay Packers season for that year. Looking at now with the Tennessee Titans, we say there's no way that you can replace someone like a Derrick Henry. There's just absolutely no way. So how is Tennessee going to survive without the foundation and everything in terms of the offensive input standpoint, uh, impact responsibility of someone like a Derrick Henry? Now, even short, long-term, short-term being the next couple of weeks, long-term being the end of the regular season, Tennessee should be able to win the division. They're three games ahead of the both the Indianapolis Colts right now. Jacksonville and Houston are irrelevant for this discussion in terms of, well, maybe, you know, Houston and Jacksonville can get on a roll and Indianapolis and Houston, um, uh, Tennessee might fall off a cliff and, you know, you never know with Houston and Jacksonville. Uh-huh. So if you take a look, again, the only real threat for the Titans to catch them in the AFC South division is, are the Indianapolis Colts. That's probably not going to happen because you take a look at the remaining schedule for the Titans and you see this upcoming weekend they're at the Los Angeles Rams. Then they play the New Orleans Saints. Then they're on to Houston at New England. Then to play Jacksonville. Then they have a bye week before they go on a road to Pittsburgh. Then back home to the San Francisco 49ers, the Miami Dolphins. And then they end the season at Houston playing the Houston Texans. So, I'm taking another look at the worst case realistic scenario, which I always do when I'm speaking about these type of things. You could just say glass half empty type of guy. Oh my goodness, the the Titans can never overcome this devastating injury. We're cooked, we're done, we're finished, finito. You're taking a look at the worst case realistic scenario for those people. 
Okay, they lose to the L.A. Rams, then they lose to the New Orleans Saints, then they lose to the New England Patriots, and, you know, with that defense, they lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Go ahead and beat Houston twice, Jacksonville, Miami, and San Francisco, especially when you're speaking about near the end of the season. If you're playing a team that doesn't have any playoff implications or doesn't have a chance to get into the playoffs, let's just say, for instance, the last three games of the season, they're going to be playing the 49ers, the Miami Dolphins, and the Houston Texans. Well, we don't exactly know if the 49ers are going to be no longer competing for a playoff spot with San Francisco then be starting Trey Lance at their quarterback uh, other than Jimmy Garoppolo. The Miami Dolphins, we don't know what kind of a wreck of a program that they have this season. So we don't know what their energy, we don't know what their excitement, we don't know what their passionate level, we don't know what their commitment to giving 100%, giving you the best that I've got like Anita Baker. We don't know exactly what the uh, level for the Miami Dolphins are going to be during that time. And then you have Houston, which at the end of the season, I'm quite sure those guys are all ready to get the hell out of Dodge and go to uh, Cancun or go to uh, wherever they want to go to. So, you know, we're taking a look at that scenario right there. So even if... We're going to be taking a look at the oh my goodness type of scenario where last uh, this past weekend where the Bengals lost to the New York Jets. Who saw that coming? Nobody with a nobody with a sight, brain, ears, or whatever everything else. Well, that type of loss from Tennessee, even without Derrick Henry, seems to be minute near the end of the season if they're going to be playing a team like the 49ers with a rookie quarterback trying to get his feet wet and trying to uh, grow as a quarterback, then play Miami and then play Houston. There seems to be no type of Cincinnati type of performance against the New York Jets and that outcome to shock everybody when you're taking a look at San Francisco, Miami, and Houston for the Tennessee Titans, which is to say, even for those who just think it's all doom and gloom for the Tennessee Titans, you still have to say that, look, man, 49ers, Miami, and Houston should be winners. Then you take a look at the best case scenario as far as realistically is concerned. Okay, let's go ahead. They still lose to the Los Angeles Rams on the road this upcoming weekend. They say, for instance, let's just, you know, keep it real. Let's just keep it 100. Let's just keep it conservative in a way in terms of, you know, being as realistic as possible. They lose to the Rams. They lose at New England. Then they either win only one game against the Saints, the Steelers, or the 49ers, but they go ahead and they beat Houston twice, Jacksonville, Miami, and then win two of the three games. I'm sorry, yeah, they, then they go ahead and, once, once I mentioned before, win two of the three games against San Francisco, New Orleans, or Pittsburgh. So even with Derrick Henry out of the lineup, even the, with the changes that are going to have to be made by the Tennessee Titans, you're still looking at their record being somewhere around 10 and 7 or 12 and 5, which again, playing in the second worst division in football behind the NFC least, that should be well and good enough to give them the division title and host a game in the playoffs. So I don't know if being 12 and 5 would get you a number two seed behind Buffalo or the number three seed behind, I don't know, what, um, the, the Ravens maybe? The Bills and the Ravens? I don't know. I don't know, but it's all going to come down to, I think, exactly what's going to be happening in terms of the impact and the meaning of the Titans losing Derrick Henry. Because I mentioned before, outside of a few quarterbacks, I mean, we're thinking about maybe as far as the impact and responsibility that they have on their team in terms of the success is concerned. I mean, outside of maybe Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, 
Um, Aaron Rodgers. Um, I don't know. Russell Wilson, maybe. I mean, you know. I mean, they beat Jacksonville with Geno Smith. Big whoop-de-damn-do. So outside of a few quarterbacks, I don't think there's any player as important to their team and what they do as Derrick Henry. I mean, you take a look as far as the running game is concerned. With the exception of Cleveland, Baltimore, and Dallas, Tennessee has the most reliance on the running game. And when you're speaking about that running game with Cleveland, you're speaking about two running backs in terms of Kareem Hunt and uh, Chubb, when you're speaking about the Dallas Cowboys, we're thinking, thinking about Tony Pollard and we're thinking about Ezekiel Elliott. And when we're speaking about Baltimore, we're speaking about the quarterback who's the best runner in the game as far as Lamar Jackson is concerned, along with a trio of serviceable sort of kind of running backs. For the Titans, man, Derrick Henry, and it's Derrick Henry alone. The Titans are fourth in the NFL in rushing 147 yards per game. The team has rushed for 1,181 yards. Derrick Henry has 937 of them. And what's the other 150? Scrambles by Ryan Tannehill? So when you're thinking about the running game, the running game for Tennessee is Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry alone. He doesn't have a complimentary running back. He doesn't have a Tony Pollard to go with him. He doesn't have a Nicholas Chubb to go with him. He doesn't have the quarterback of the athletic skills and running ability of a Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have any of that. Is Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry only. Again, speaking about the impact, speaking about the responsibility, thinking about the importance of what Derrick Henry means to the Tennessee Titans. When you take a look at the rest of the players on that team in terms of the running back position is concerned, as I mentioned before, Nichols and Evans, they've combined on nine carries to rush for 45 yards. <laughs> I mean, Henry already has 217 rushing attempts. The team itself has 260. Derrick Henry, 217 rushing carries. That's more than 22 other teams in the league. Name me a player outside of a quarterback who is more important to a team, to a football team, to a unit on a football team than Derrick Henry. You move over to the defensive side of the football, but maybe Aaron Donald, the best defensive, uh, Donald, the best defensive player in the league. Well, hell, he's got, um, he's got uh, Jalen Ramsey on his side. Also to back him up and to help him out. You know, TJ Watt has Mika Fitzpatrick on his side to help him out. Who in the world on the Tennessee Titans is uh, helping out besides A.J. Brown. Who else, is, who else besides him is going to be, you know, is helping Derrick Henry carry the load on the offensive side of the football? I mentioned before, the Titans are going to get Adrian Peterson, 36 years old from the streets, and he's probably going to be the featured running back. Ain't no way, ain't no way, like Aretha Franklin saying that, uh, Adrian Peterson is going to be able to come close to the production and the meaning and the impact that Derrick Henry has. Nobody outside of a quarterback is going to have that type of uh, impact and responsibility that the uh, that uh, Derrick Henry has. Not going to be done. Cannot be done. So we're speaking about just from the running standpoint, I gave you how much Henry means to that component of the offense. And we think about the Mike Munchak, uh, Munchak offense and we think about it's being, you know, run dominated. Well, how is that going to affect Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback of uh, Tennessee? Because since 
Tannehill took over as Tennessee starting quarterback week seven of the 2019 season. He's been living. He's been feasting. He got that big fat contract. He's doing well, mainly, possibly, probably, mostly because of the play action fake to guess who? Derrick Henry. He's taking advantage of those eight fronts because why? He has in the backfield Derrick Henry. And when you're talking about Tannehill having the league's best QBR at 89, uh, 83.9 on play action passes over that time frame, speaking about week seven of the 2019 season all the way up to the present, he's, again, leading the league in QBR on play action passes, and he's averaging almost 11 yards per attempt. And when he doesn't use the play fake, he ranks 16th in QBR and averages seven yards per attempt. So you see the impact not just running the football with Derrick Henry, but the fact that he's even in the backfield. You have to go ahead and you have to take into account of what's going on with that. Oh, and by the way, another player who has a whole lot of responsibility, Patrick Mahomes. My bad. So, look, Tennessee has used a play fake on 31% of their pass attempts since week 7 of 2019, the start of the Ryan Tannehill era. That's the second highest rate in football. So, we're, we're speaking now with Derrick Henry going down and the lack of talent to succeed him or to uh, pick up the pieces just a little bit like the average white band and play a little uh, pick up the pieces and lead the Tennessee Titans to uh, something greater in terms of what they're looking for, the expectations are, what the season expectations and goals were. I mean, we're going to be relying on two running backs we've never heard of and a washed up, worn down, old for football since Adrian Peterson. Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, we need you, especially Julio Jones. Julio Jones was supposed to be that guy. He was supposed to be the perfect complimentary piece to A.J. Brown, who was ascending to being a true number one receiver on a team that could be elite. Well, so far this season, Julio, who missed the game against Indy because of injury, he has only 17 catches on 27 targets for... 300 yards, and he hadn't had a touchdown yet. You must feel like he's back in Atlanta again, getting passes from Matt Ryan, taking the ball down to the five-yard line, and then not getting in the end zone. He didn't score a lot of touchdowns for a few years when he was considered one of the elites of the elites when he was playing for Atlanta. He didn't get the ball in the end zone, not nearly enough. Now, he gets traded, becomes the number two receiver behind A.J. Brown, and again, through seven games of the season, I say seven games of the season, yeah, he hasn't uh, caught a touchdown pass. He's had one good game. I think it was eight catches for like a buck 46 or something like that. But outside of that, he's been pretty pedestrian. So, you know, it's going to have to take Julio Jones and the defense for Tennessee to pick it up uh, just a little bit for them to continue. Again, we're, we're really not going to know the the impact I mean, we can gauge in terms of where they're going, especially if you take a look at that schedule. You know, I, I wouldn't take anything out of the Los Angeles Rams game. I mean, this is going to be the first week where they're not going to have Henry in the backfield. So, I mean, I would almost call this a wash if they go ahead and uh, get blown out by the uh, Los Angeles Rams. But, uh, you know, you have some good gauge games against the New England Patriots on the road. You know Belichick is going to scheme something rather tasty for the Titans to chew on. You're going to be going up against another defensive team that's uh, playing some very good defense so far, especially if you took a look at that game against the Tampa Tom Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. That's going to be another good gauge when we're speaking about where are the Titans in their offense moving forward in the season. You're speaking about them playing the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, who have a uh, fine defense. So there's some, there's some games out there where 
Tennessee is going to learn a lot about themselves in terms of where are we going, what are we doing, what are the effects, what are the effects of Derrick Henry not playing. So before I start prognosticating about their season is done and everything because they're in the AFC South, I think they'll be able to survive that. Now moving forward in the playoffs, we don't know. It hasn't been definitive yet in terms of Derrick Henry being listed uh, out for the season. This could just be another ploy. We don't know, but, you know, there's some things still left undone, stones left to be unturned, uh, trees yet to be run up, uh, cars yet to be driven, um, you know, bats. Oh, I don't know. Fuck it. But, you know, there's still some things going on which we need to uh, figure out before we start making any definitive statements on what the season, the playoffs, and everything else is going to be for the Tennessee Titans. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, oh, excuse me, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. NFL trade deadline. The Los Angeles Rams going all in for a chance. Oh, I'm going all in for a chance to win a Super Bowl. The Denver Broncos agreed to in, to trade eight-time Pro Bowl linebacker Von Miller to the Los Angeles Rams on Monday. You see that uh, he was all choked up speaking about Von Miller when he was talking about leaving the Broncos and that type of thing. That was touching. That was very, very touching by Vaughn. Uh, but sources told ESPN Adam Schefter the Rams will send a second-round pick, a third-round pick selection in the 2022 draft to the Broncos in exchange for Miller, which I think means that the Rams, I think for this 2022 draft, they only have three picks. So I don't even think, yeah, they have three picks. And it's almost like, you know, man, where do the Rams keep getting these picks? Because didn't they have to trade a boatload of picks to get uh, Jalen Ramsey? And then they have to uh, trade a boatload of picks to get uh, Matthew Stafford? And then they have to trade a boatload of picks to get what well, Robert, what Robert was it? Was uh, Brandon Cook? Wasn't it Brandon Cook a few years ago from the Patriots where they went ahead and got him or something like that? I know that they have spent some uh, pretty good draft capital on building this football team. Um, you know, the foundations being stars and then just kind of filling in around the perimeter with guys who are, you know, decent enough, but they're not building anything through their draft. They're not doing anything that way. It's just a matter of, you know what, instead of drafting guys, we don't know what they're all about in terms of them being NFL football players. We could go ahead and we could scout these guys and we can go ahead and do all the things that we need to do. But uh, would you rather go with the known commodity or would you rather go ahead and see what you've got in a rookie? Now, of course, Robert Woods and Cooper, uh, Cup, uh, Cup and all those guys, you know, I'm not saying that the entire team is full. When you're speaking about the Los Angeles Rams, the t- entire team is not just full of guys who are f- veteran free agents or or uh, guys picked up in trades. This isn't the uh, George Allen over the hill Washington football team from the mid-70s. So, yes, they are playing some young guys. So, yes, not all of those guys on the roster are free agent acquisitions and trade acquisitions, but... Uh, you know, for the NFL scouts who are getting paid by the Los Angeles Rams, congratulations, man. I don't know what they're paying you, but that must be the easiest gig going. So the Rams, only three draft picks in the 2022 draft, but they got a guy who, I mean, are we speaking about the Von Miller who was Von Miller in 2015? You, that guy is not walking through that door, folks. But uh, they get a guy who's still an impact player. He's still a guy who, if surrounded by the random amount of talent, i.e. superior talent, i.e. someone like an Aaron Donald can uh, still do some things. So moving 
on with the Rams now for Vaughn Miller. I wonder what his role is going to be. Is it going to be difference maker? Is it going to be impact player? Is it going to be needed role player? Is it going to be a luxury player? Exactly what are we going to be doing? The <clears throat> the Rams defense is not that of the Kansas City defense or my Washington Snyderskins defense or the Atlanta Falcons defense. It's not near the bottom or anything like that. And with the offense that they have right now, the Rams defense needs to be just good, needs to be around C, C plushes, plushish to go ahead and still be true contenders for conference and Super Bowl championships. But one of the great things in terms of Vaughn Miller coming to the Los Angeles Rams, once again, it's not the fact that we're expecting Vaughn Miller to turn back the clock and be 2015, but when you take a look at the history of guys who played with Aaron Donald, uh, Donald you can see that uh, they have thrived greatly by having Mr. Donald as their main guy on the defensive line. Dante Fowler, not senior, but junior, had 11 and a half sacks and 16 tackles for losses when uh, he was past, he was, um, he was a pair with uh, Donald back in 2019. And in 19, in the 19 games that he's played in for Atlanta since, he's had only five sacks and six total tackle for losses. Hmm. I wonder, let me see here, is Atlanta sporting somebody like an Aaron Donald on their team? No, but the Los Angeles uh, Rams are. Ah, there we go. 11 and a half sacks, 16 tackles for losses the year that he played with uh, Donald. And now since he's only had five sacks and six total tackles for losses in the few seasons that he's played for the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clay Matthews joined the Rams in 2019 at the age of 33 in... The season that he was with the Rams, he had eight sacks in 13 games, the most efficient, effective seasons he's had since 2014. And then you go back to 2020, last season, Leonard Floyd, playing alongside uh, alongside Donald, had 10 and a half sacks for losses, and the losses were for, no, he had 10 and a half tackles for losses, then, then 11 sacks, so... I'm telling you, man, does this move make the Rams the best team in the NFC, possibly the NFL? I don't I don't know. I don't know whether we can go ahead and def- say that definitively. I really don't. And we're not going to be able to know that for a couple of weeks. Don't be basing anything yay, nay, hip, hip, hooray uh, Sunday against Tennessee. They're still going to have some rather uh, Bobby Flay delicious type of uh matchups that they're going to be chewing on in terms of gauging to see where they are, where they're at, where the defensive at, how to play Von Miller, where to play Von Miller, the impact of Von Miller, what they can get, get out of Von Miller, the best place to use Von Miller. Because after Tennessee, they're at San Francisco, then they have a bye. Then they come back and they're at Green Bay, Jacksonville, at Arizona, Seattle, at Minnesota, at Baltimore, and then San Francisco. So you're, you're taking a look at some of these quarterbacks that they're going to be going up against during that stretch, barring some type of injury. You've got uh, Aaron Rodgers, who's going to be throwing to, oh, by the way, an elite receiver, and Dante Adams. He's been one of the best receivers in the game statistically so far this season. You're going to have Kyler Murray throwing to DeAndre Hopkins. That's going to be a pretty nice little challenge. You're going to be possibly getting back Russell Wilson. And oh, by the way, last check, DK Metcalf, is still doing some things out there in the Emerald City. And then you're going to have someone like a Lamar Jackson to to deal with. So, you know, forget what's going to be happening on Sunday with the Titans. Miller 
hasn't even, you know, find out a way in terms of, he probably doesn't even know where he's going to be living except for a hotel, motel, holiday inn. And if your friend starts asking, asking up, then you take a friend. Hotel, motel, holiday inn. If your friend starts acting up, then you take your friend. So this is a situation where Miller is still trying to get himself situated. So trying to learn a little bit from the playbook. So I guess, you know, when the ball is high, here's our playbook for Yvonne. When the ball is high, you get the quarterback. Or when the ball is high, you go get the guy with the football. That's your, that's what you need to know for right now. So the bye week is going to come at a great time after the game against San Francisco. So he's going to have two weeks in terms of Tennessee, then Frisco, then the bye week to uh, get himself situated a little bit better, learn his teammates a little bit better, get comfortable a little bit better, find the best route to the practice facility and to the uh, games and get used to that LA traffic and all those type of things. I don't know if he's married. I don't know what he's going to do about the, uh, the, uh, child situation. I'm quite sure they're probably going to be staying in Denver, especially if the child is going to school. So, I mean, he's going to get to get, going to get to get acclimated to being away from his children. And I don't know if he's married or has a girlfriend or not, but from his significant other. So, you know, it's going to take some time. And as I mentioned before, Green Bay, Arizona, Seattle, Baltimore will give those guys down the road speaking about the defense for the Rams led by Raheem Morris, give them an opportunity to figure out exactly what's going to be happening. And, you know, we have to also see if the Los Angeles Rams with their balanced offense and now with a real quarterback in terms of being a franchise slash starting quarterback um, continues to improve and get better week after week. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So competition for the Rams moving forward here. We've got the Green Bay Packers. We got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We have them Dallas Cowboys. And if you, even if you want to dabble over to the AFC, we have the Buffalo Bills. So those are the teams. Buffalo Dallas, Tampa Bay, Green Bay didn't do too much at the trade deadline to improve their chances. So, you know, this is all going to be on the um, Los Angeles Rams to score their Super Bowl opportunity to win probably for this year, next year, and possibly the year after that. So, Les Snead has a three-year window to try to get something done. And uh, getting Von Miller, you know, a guy who can still be an impact player to go along with elite Defenders at their position and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey sets up the very interesting situation for the Los Angeles Rams moving forward. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. One team that's surprisingly I haven't spoke about, but continues to struggle. And no, it's not the Dallas Cowboys, even though good win over Minnesota the other night on Sunday Night Football, the team I'm talking about is the Kansas City football team. The Kansas City used to be champions. Not playing like it. Not even playing like a playoff team. Very average. Very below average in a lot of areas. In a must-win must win, must win game. Say that five times fast. Um, It wasn't even must-win, I don't think. I think it was must-really-look-good type of performance. I mean... How do you feel if you're a Kansas City football fan? How are you feeling right now after watching that game? Yeah, we won, and you don't get style points. This isn't uh, college football. You know, these 
NFL teams aren't being ranked and they don't have a bunch of old farts in their room trying to figure out who did what and who lost to who and what strength of schedule is greater and all this type of uh, bullshit, which I don't even know how much they really put into all that stuff in terms of the total stew is to serve to the folks in terms of this is our top five, top ten uh, decisions on who the best team in college football is. I'm, you know, for the NFL, the Kansas City football team doesn't have to deal with any of that stuff. Winning is winning. You don't get to uh, five and four because you look great doing it. You don't move up in the standings because you look great doing it. Did you win or did you lose? The Kansas City football team won. But damn, it sure feels like a loss in the uh, bigger picture, doesn't it, Kansas City football fans, huh? Patrick Mahomes threw for 275 yards. A touchdown had another interception. Tyreek Hill had 12 catches for 94 yards in the score. Uh, McCole Hardman added five catches for 63 yards, including a 24-yard catch and run on the final drive that set up uh, Buckner's uh, field goal, go-ahead field goal. So, yeah, all right. We struggled mightily to beat the New York Giants at home on Monday night. How does 4-4 four and four sound for you, Kansas City? Yeah, that's what I thought. Patrick Mahomes still looks uncomfortable and pedestrian. The offensive line still continues to be a problem. Tight end Travis Kelsey has been right all season and was injured. Um, it was, really wasn't that good against one of the worst defenses in the league. I mean, you're speaking about the Giants game. Kansas City had 12 penalties for 103 yards. Who are they trying to emulate? The Oakland Raiders of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and 2000s? What's all that about? 12 penalties for 103 yards. Mahomes was intercepted for the seventh game in a row and fumbled on a critical third down play in the fourth quarter, even though uh, his offensive lineman recovered. I mean, I don't... I, I don't... I, everybody's the experts who know this game, the Collinsworth and the Guys who are speaking this game is like, you know, you have to be patient. That's the main thing with Mahomes, right? He's not being patient. He's trying to make the home run, uh, you know, he's taking home run swings. He's trying to uh, hit five run home runs with no one on base. He's doing these type of things. He needs to be patient. He needs to be disciplined. But it's like, I don't know. He just seems so jittery in the pocket. It, he's, he's seeing, hearing, feeling defenders when there really isn't any. So moving forward, I have no idea what you're going to be doing with Kansas City and this football team. I know that they made a couple of moves uh, going forward, but man, tough time. Tough time for the Kansas City football team, and it's not getting any better. So when you're taking a look at the AFC and you know who's the best, who's the second best, I don't know, man. It could be a situation where, look, Buffalo didn't look all that world-beating against the Miami Dolphins. Kind of slept walk through most of the game before they got it together. Are we really going to trust New England? The defense, sure. Bill, Bill Belichick, sure. But man, you know, those skill players, I don't know. And then you got Mac Jones worth a running game. Don't know about the uh, New England offense. You have the Cleveland Browns right now who are just, I don't know, what are they doing in terms of losing to the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and dealing with those injuries? Now you're speaking about a Tor Labrum for Baker Mayfield. Kareem Hunt was out. Nick Chubb is injured. The offensive line has been decimated by injuries. Jarvis Landry dropped a couple of passes and fumbled on the uh, on a slant pass. An important time in the game for the Browns against the Steelers. OBJ 
has been a huge disappointment for Cleveland. I, I don't know where you go with that. Denver's at four and four. Big deal. They stink. Teddy Bridgewater not getting it done. That offense for the uh, Dolph for the um, Broncos not any good. We could be taking a look at a team like oh I don't know screw it the uh, Indianapolis Colts who could come out and do some things in terms of turn their season around. We don't know. We don't know. So the AFC a complete clusterfuck. We don't know. Who's going to be doing what from week to week to week to week? But hey, you know what? The best reality show in television is the NFL. And that's that's one of the great things. You know, this ain't a Steven Seagal movie from the 80s where that man never got touched, that man never got hurt, and he broke every bone and every villain's body, and he came away looking cool and all that kind of nonsense at the end of the flick. We don't know what's going to be happening with the... Los Angeles Rams with Vaughn Miller. We don't know what's going to be happening with Tampa Bay and if they're ever going to recover and get back some of their uh, uh, secondary guys. We don't know what's going to be happening with, say, for instance, the Arizona Cardinals. Are they going to rise or fall from their first loss of the season? We don't know what's going to be happening with the Cincinnati Bengals, if they're going to be able to rebound from that loss and get the New York Jets. We don't know what's going to be happening, even if the Cleveland Browns get some of their players some of their key players back healthy. We don't know what's going to be happening with the Pittsburgh Steelers if Ben Roethlisberger can just turn back the time a little bit and Najee Harris can carry that offense enough for the defense to do some things for the Pittsburgh Steelers to become true contenders for the AFC. We don't know if the Baltimore Ravens are going to uh, go ahead and do some things, put more talent behind Lamar Jackson, have the wide receivers become more consistent so Mark Andrews can get a little bit of a break and stop catching all of the passes that Lamar Jackson throws out there. We don't know exactly what's going to be happening. Again, that's what makes the NFL so doggone fun. We don't know what's going to be happening with all this turmoil surrounding the Los Vegas Raiders in terms of, um, you know, Henry Shruggs being released. That's right, Henry Shruggs being released and John Gruden being released. In fact, let me see here. Let me see if I can get this here. Yep. Just came across right now. Las Vegas Raiders release wide receiver Henry Shruggs, who faces two felony charges in a fatal crash. So we don't know exactly what the imprint. We don't know exactly what the outcome. We don't know exactly uh, what's going to be happening in terms of that. But uh, let's just go ahead and take a look. Let's just go ahead and, and see what happens. Let's just go ahead and turn on and watch and love the best reality shows on television the National Football League, or its acronym, the NFL. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us 
Hope everybody is having a fabulous day. I hope everybody's having a fabulous evening. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, I hope you're just feeling fabulous. As Billy Crystal would say, I hope they're just doing marvelous, terrible impersonation of an old Saturday night skit that uh, Billy Crystal used to do. But uh, yeah, man, let's see what we can continue to do to spread love, peace, unity, harmony, respect, understanding, knowledge, education amongst one another. Let's keep doing it, man. If we're not doing it, if you're not doing it, what the hell are you waiting for? How privileged, how blind, how ignorant, how intolerant are you? Not to go ahead and have that to have that uncomfortable conversation with somebody, somebody you trust, somebody that you're just going to say, hey, look, man, you know what? You might be uh, coming from a different place in certain things. I want to sit down. I want to learn. I want to see exactly what it is that you're talking about. Maybe when everything is all said and done, maybe I will not go fully 100% to uh, what you putting down. You know what I'm saying? But uh, at least let me go ahead and hear you out. And if I can take just 50%, maybe half of it I agree with, the other half that I don't agree with. Well, it's better than having 100% of being in the dark. Maybe, you know what, that situation in terms of you talk to somebody who's from a different background than you, someone of a different gender than you, someone of a different uh, skin tone than you, someone of a different financial background than you, someone who uh, loves someone different than you, someone who worships another god than you. Why? How? What's, you know, maybe when you get to uh, sit down and talk to them people and have them uncomfortable conversations, if you hurt somebody's feelings, who gives a fuck? then maybe we can start learning, maybe we can start teaching our children, maybe this world will hopefully be a much better place when we are said and done, when my generation is said and done, whether we're dead in the ground and that's about it for us, or we go to heaven, or we go to hell, or we go in a spaceship, and whatever your thoughts and beliefs are, I mean, you know, hopefully moving to uh, the 22nd, 23rd, and Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, that this world will be, when we take a look at the history books, we can start uh, seeing some things in terms of the oppression, the discrimination, the hate, the divisiveness, the idiocy, the selfishness amongst people in the year 2021, 22, 23, and beyond, things started to change, started to change with uh, black folks, started to change with women, started to change with Hispanics, started to change with gay and lesbians, started to change with uh, a whole different bunch of folks. So not only the privilege can be just white males, Christian white males, that the privilege can be every single one who has a good heart, a good mind, a good spirit about them, a good chi, shall we say, about them. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Let me go ahead and get back to some sports. Let me go ahead and get back to some college football. Let me go ahead and start because the selection committee made their uh, decision in terms of uh, who was the top four, who was the top five, who was the top six, who was the top ten. In descending order, the number ten team that they decided on was Notre Dame at seven and one. The number nine team was Wake Forest out of the ACC, a perfect eight and no record. Number, number eight team in the nation in terms of the uh, selection committee, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, who in many of the national polls, the AP and coaches and such, were in the top four, top five. In the eyes of the selection committee, they're, uh, excuse me, ew, they're number eight. So good for them. Number seven is Michigan at seven and one. Number six is Cincinnati. Boo! Ah, boo! Number six. Um, number five is Ohio State. Number four is Oregon. Interesting. Good move on that part. Number three is Michigan State. 
Very good. Number two is Alabama because they're Alabama. And number one is Georgia. So when I take a look at this, it's like, yeah, all right. One thing we always have to remember now, especially when we're speaking about the first, you know, the selection committee's first, you know, drafting of the top five, top four, top 10 teams. There's going to be avenues. There's going to be situations where this is not set in stone because they first come out and everybody loses their mind. Oh my goodness gracious. How could this guy, how could this team be ranked here and the other team be ranked there? And this is ridiculous. And this is horrible. And, you know, let the uh, arguing commence. And I guess, you know, that's one of the selling points that college football likes to have is about, yeah, that's what makes the sport so interesting that, you know, we can go ahead and we can put these things out here and it sparks discussion and it sparks water cooler uh, arguments, barbershop uh, arguments about this stuff. And that's what makes our sport so much more wonderful is the fact that the regular season really means something. No, it doesn't. Tell that to Cincinnati in terms of, yeah, the regular season means something. We all knew, this is the worst part, we all knew that the selection committee does not want a non-Power 5 school in the playoffs. None. I don't give a damn what the resume says. I don't give a damn who they beat in non-conference. I don't give a damn. When you're speaking about the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the Pac-12, they don't want anybody else playing for a national championship as long as we're picking the top four, as long as we're giving that semifinal talk in terms of trying to win a Super Bowl, I mean, trying to win a uh, national championship. They don't want a Houston. They don't want an SMU. They don't want a um, Cincinnati. They don't want any of those schools. Hell, they don't even want one of the bottom tier schools for one of their own conferences. They want the Blue Bloods in there. And it's interesting the fact that two weeks into the season, and we had Ohio State losing to uh, Oregon. And we had, you know, a few weeks later, Alabama almost losing to Florida. And we had Oklahoma struggling in the games that they were playing. And we were like in Clemson, you know, laying an egg this season. We were like, man, this could be the one year, the outlier for a year where we could have, you know, not just one team, but a couple of teams that we never even thought of be competing for a national championship. Along with Cincinnati, we could be having a school that – school or two that we never even thought of well when everything is all said and done with the exception of clemson it's the same old song but with a different meaning since you've been gone it's still the same folks out there occupying the uh, top spots um can't make too much of an argument about georgia i mean you know i just i mean i i believe that georgia is Head and shoulders above everybody else. And I'm just not talking about because they have dandruff. Head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of, uh, you know, the type of dominance that they've had this season, especially if you're speaking about from the defensive end. So you're taking a look at the remaining schedule for them dogs, and they're at, uh, they're playing Missouri, then they're at Tennessee, Charleston Southern, and before ending the season at Georgia Tech. The probability of those guys getting to the SEC championship game, and if they get into the SEC championship game, regardless of whether they whether they win or lose, they can lose sixty-eight to nothing. It really doesn't matter, as long as they finish the regular season undefeated. Those guys, speaking about Georgia, will be going to one of the semifinals in the 
um, championship series. It's only going to be a matter of whether they're going to be ranked number one, which would give them a semifinal matchup against the number four seed, or if they lose, are they going to be then the number two seed, which then would play the number three seed. Some of the situations with that, but Georgia seems to be in good shape. I don't, I don't know exactly what they're going to do about the quarterback position. Everybody says that Stetson Bennett is a quarterback that you can't win with. And yeah, if you take a look at Georgia's schedule, they really haven't played a murderous role in terms of top tier teams, especially when you're speaking about the SEC being the best college football conference in the um, in the whole shebang. The fact that you take a look at Georgia's schedule outside of the first game that they played against uh, Clemson has been rather mediocre. And when you f- figure out or you find out what Clemson is all about this season, that victory doesn't look as impressive as it could be on uh, normal seasons. So, you know, the fact that Georgia really hadn't played anybody tough or anything like that still doesn't make a difference when you're a uh, defense that strong. really doesn't matter what your quarterback is when you have a defense that strong and a running game as potent as the University of Georgia and their football program under Kirby Smart. So they're the number one team in the polls in terms of the selection committees, their first draft, in terms of who's going to be doing what, who's going to be going where, who's the uh, top dog, shall we say, at the Georgia Bulldogs. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. The Alabama Crimson Tide come in at number two, even though they've lost a game. Uh, Their remaining schedule is LSU, New Mexico State, Arkansas, and then the game, end of the game, against the end of the season against uh, Auburn at Auburn, who is currently ranked number 12. So um, you take a look at Alabama's schedule. And again, I, I think this is just a situation where the uh, selection committee put them based on talent alone or as far as who had the best talent on paper. Because if you take a look at Alabama's best wins this season, Opening game against then number 14, Miami beat them 44-13. Miami, even though surging a little bit with a couple of wins these uh, past couple of weeks, there's still been a major disappointment this season. On the road, they had to hold on to beat number 11, Florida, 31-29. And if you take a look at the near totality of the season with the Florida Gators, number 11 at that time, they were farces. And then they beat number 12, Mississippi, 42-21, Lane Kiffin. And again, Mississippi isn't what you would call a uh, world beater, even though at the time they were ranked number 12 in the country. Um, So for, for me... I mean, I I don't know exactly to be number two in the country. I don't know where the selection committee gets that. I just think that they see the overwhelming talent uh, that Alabama has, and they said, good enough. The fact that they lost to Texas A&M, the fact that their secondary has been sketchy, yeah, let's not worry about it. You see the recruiting classes that they have coming in? Do you see that the last of five recruiting classes and how well Alabama has gotten in that talent? So I think what they're trying to tell us is that even though they lost a game because of the program that they have, because of who the coach that they have, those seven uh, championship rings that he has, I think it's seventy. I think it's seven championship rings, as Deion Sanders would say, Dick Saban has more rings than a cell phone. Athlac. But, uh, you know, it's a situation where you, you have that guy as your coach, you have that talent, and you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. So I think mainly Alabama being this high on the uh, selection committee's list is based namely on reputation more than what they've done so far this season. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, 
Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. The uh, number three team, Michigan State. Great win the other day against Michigan. 37, what was it, 37, 31 or something like that. It was a fantastic game. It was an awesome game. Mel Tucker, kudos to him, man. I, I still think when everything is said and done, if we're going to be looking at who's going to be the first domino to drop in terms of a team, the top four or five or six teams to lose, I think it's going to be Michigan State. I really does. And it has nothing to do with, you know, smoke and mirrors or anything like that. I think if you're going to be beating the Michigan State Spartans, man, you're going to have to give – I hate to use these fucking cliches, but you have to give every amount of blood, sweat, and tears for the entire amount. Michigan State is not going to beat themselves. Michigan State is not going to quit. Michigan State has a Heisman Trophy candidate and a pretty decent pass uh, pass um, offense to uh, complement it, even though we could do a little bit better on the offensive line. The defensive line for Michigan was eating up the uh, Michigan State Spartans on Saturday, but, uh, you know, their defense is going to play well. You know, I just think that Michigan State is a good team, but I think it's a team that is overachieving. I think it's a team that's, uh, you know, you can win on guile, you can win on guts, you can win on not giving up, you can win on high character, but, you know, sometimes the Jimmys and Joes beat the X's and the O's, and I just think as far as the Jimmys and the Joes are concerned, even though Ohio State lost earlier in the season, and even though Ohio State has not looked dominant against any team of any, you know, consequence this season. You t- again, you're taking a look at the Jimmys and the Joes for Ohio State being better than the Jimmys and the Joes of Michigan State. And I feel that uh, when those two teams play, I think it's going to be Ohio State to say bye-bye to the hopes and dreams of A, Michigan State going undefeated, and B, Michigan State getting an opportunity to uh, play for a national championship. And I also think that Michigan State is also one of those programs to where, hey, look, man, they could go out and lay an egg and still win a football game, and they're going to fall. Meanwhile, oh, you know, oh, Alabama could look pedestrian against, um, I don't know, who, who are they playing against? Alabama could look pedestrian against New Mexico State, and they're not going anywhere. They could look, you know, pedestrian against Arkansas, and they're not going anywhere. If Michigan State does that, they're following. Why? Because the selection committee had more of a bias toward Alabama than they do Michigan State. Those clowns can sit up there and go, no, 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 no. Bullshit. Then you tell me how, based off of what you saw this season, how you could put Alabama number two. I'm not saying that Alabama are frauds. I'm not saying that Alabama is not one of the favorites to win the championship. I'm not even saying that Alabama, when everything is all said and done, shouldn't be in a position to have the great to have a great opportunity to get into the uh, playoffs. But if they win out the rest of their games and then they lose to Georgia in the SEC championship, there's no way, no how, no way, no how that the selection committee could put a two-loss team in the football playoffs. And the only team that even have a minute chance of doing that would be Alabama. And I, I just don't think that would happen. I don't give a damn if... It's a game of the century type of contest where Georgia pulls out a victory on the last play of the game type of scenario. You cannot, under any circumstance, put Alabama, when you're speaking about a 14 playoff, you cannot put a two-loss Alabama team in the semifinals to win a national championship. You cannot do it. Again, especially with the records, especially with the teams that Alabama has played this season. Not not stout whatsoever. Wendell's World of Sports, 
I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you, you could be with us. We spoke about <clears throat> we spoke about Michigan State. We spoke about the, those fellas. Now, now, four and five are going to be interesting because this is where everybody was on the assumption that, oh, it's going to be, you, you, you know who it is. You know who it is. You know, between Ohio State and Oregon, you know who the selection committee is going to put in there. Yeah, you know who's going to go with the blue bloods. You know, this, that, and the other. I am proud. I am proud, like Peter, that um, that the selection committee for right now put in Oregon over Ohio State. And look, I see both arguments. I see the fact that, wait, 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 wait a minute. Why, how could there be a discussion about Ohio State leapfrogging Oregon and them being number four or somehow some way that um, Ohio State would get a better opportunity to uh, get one of these slots in the playoffs semifinals to get that championship. How in the world can you say that Ohio State is more deserving than Oregon when, oh, I don't know, Oregon beat them. Beat them on their home squad in front of a hundred and something thousand. Beat them on their home field. With two of our best players, one being a top three or four draft pick in the NFL not playing. We had Anthony Brown as our flipping quarterback, and we beat them. And it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't something where Ohio State turned the ball over seven times, four of them being in the red zone, giving them a short field to do some things. No, we beat Ohio State. Clean victory, one, two, three, pin you out. We beat them. So how in the world are you going to turn around then and say, nope, we're still going to put... Ohio State ahead of them. What's the use of having a regular season? The, the 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 powers that be for college football like to brag and boast with their butter butter on a breakfast toast, talking about oh yeah, you know it's what makes our sport so wonderful. The fact that every game in the regular season counts and this that and the other. Really? Well, if that was the case, how in the world then could you put Ohio State over Oregon if that was the scenario? But luckily for us, that is not the scenario. That's what everybody was anticipating. So again, love it, fantastic. And I can also see the argument to say, hey, you know what? After looking at everything, after breaking down film, after studying this stuff, as of right now, Ohio State is the better team. So we're going to go ahead and do that. What other sport are we going to be sitting there talking about? Well, because this one team beat this other team one time, then, you know, 15, 16 weeks later, 8, 9, 10 weeks later, all of a sudden that team is going to be better. That team should still be considered better than the team that they beat in week two. It's been six weeks since that happened. A lot a lot of things could change in that situation. I mean, hell, New Orleans blew the doors off of Green Bay. Does that mean that we should always consider the New Orleans Saints better than the Green Bay Packers? Because you sit there and say, damn, on a neutral field, Jameis Winston, who God bless him and thoughts and prayers are with, with him for that injury that he suffered against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now that ACL tear, he's going to be done for the year. But damn, are we going to be having this discussion? Just imagine if we played by the same rules as college football that we did in the NFL and we had this tier ranking or we had these uh, jackasses coming out of here and putting together who the top five, six, seven, eight teams are to go ahead and play for the playoffs. And we had the argument saying, well, you know what? Hey, Green Bay might have only won, might have only lost one game and they're rolling a, with seven straight wins. But Guess what? They lost to New Orleans, and they lost to them on a neutral field, thirty-eight to three. So how in the hell, how can you sit there and talk about one of the favorites to win the championship being a 
team in Green Bay who lost the first week of the season against New Orleans. That's not fair. What does the regular season mean? You, you never hear that nonsense in football. You never hear that bullshit in football. Why? Because football, the NFL, has concrete rules. No ambiguity, no interpretation for different types of definition. Here are the rules. These are the rules you have to follow, that you have to abide by, that you have to capture, master, whatever it is for you to get into the playoff. You have to win your division. If you win your division, we don't give a fuck how many games that you lost to to a team that might have the same record than you. It doesn't matter. As long as you win your division, you are in the playoff. You have a possibility to win the Super Bowl. In college football, we don't have that. In college football, we go by this bullshit minutia of, well, you know, hey, uh, Oregon did beat Ohio State in the second week of the season. I don't know what that has to do with anything six weeks later, but I can see both sides of the argument in terms of that. Why? Because there's so much ambiguity, there's so much gray matter and gray area when it comes to selecting who the best teams are. And we have a selection committee who won't, you know, enter, won't uh, open Pandora's box or, you know, let us take a peek behind the curtain and figure out exactly how are you coming up with these rankings? Is it strength of schedule? Is it film? Is it uh, who has the most talent? Is it past uh, reputation, current reputation? What is all this? Because I have no idea how you can put Cincinnati number six. I, I, based on what? And then the, I saw a quote from the guy talking about, yeah, we, uh, you know, we really um, respect Cincinnati and we think that they're a great team. But, you know, they beat Notre Dame. But who else did they beat? Well, name a better victory for Alabama than Cincinnati going on the road and beating a team in Notre Dame that only has one loss and you have them in your top 10. Alabama can't have that. Ohio State doesn't have that. Michigan State doesn't have that. So what are we talking about? The best victory of the season outside of Oregon beating Ohio State, arguably, is Cincinnati beating Notre Dame. So how can you sit there with that smirk on your face talking about, well, I mean, who else did they play? Who did Alabama play? So the win against Notre Dame on the road is going to supersede Alabama, what, beating, I don't know, who did they who, who did they beat? Mississippi or Miami? Who did they beat worth a damn? I'm not saying that Alabama or uh, Cincinnati is a better team in Alabama. I'm not saying that. But because we don't have any idea or any true definition of how these guys come up with the top four teams, just come out and say we picked Alabama number two and we picked Cincinnati outside of the top four because those four teams that we have are better than Cincinnati. After taking a look at their, uh, not even their accomplishments, by taking a look at their quarterback to quarterback, offensive line to offensive line, defensive line to defensive line, coaches to coaches, offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator, other coaches to other coaches. We have decided that these four teams are better than Cincinnati. Alabama has more talent. Alabama has more NFL caliber talent. Alabama has more of a championship resume, more championship experience than Cincinnati. So because of that, basically... If you're going to be putting all your money, and I'm not talking about Sunny, if you were going to be putting all your money down on Alabama or Cincinnati, who are you going to put your money on? Most people would say Alabama. But then if you take a look at the rankings, then you can argue about, well, how is Cincinnati outside of the top four or five when they're undefeated and beat Notre Dame on the road while Alabama has one loss and they haven't looked great against anybody of any type of stature? How is that supposed to be? You can make an argument in terms of, look, I think 
Cincinnati, maybe with the exception of being Michigan State, they couldn't beat Georgia. They couldn't beat Alabama. They couldn't beat Ohio State. They couldn't beat Oregon. They probably couldn't beat Michigan. Okay, if that's the case, then I can understand that argument for them to be outside of the top five if the selection committee came out and said those things. That this is our main priority. Who are the four best teams, regardless of anything else, after the guys who have you know, coach football for X number of years and has all these accomplishments and they're geniuses in the game. They've took a look at film. They've broken it all down. And based on this analysis and based on this thinking, these are the top four teams and Cincinnati ain't one of them. I can understand that. I can get that. But we don't have any idea of how they come up with these four teams except when we look at everything and then we throw everything together and we figure out these are the four teams. What are, we, what are we grading it on? Who has more stock? Who has what? Is the strength of schedule has more stock in it than talent? Uh, this team playing that team, play these teams, plays those teams. So if this team plays that team and beat this team by those scores, and this team beat that team by these scores, that means the team that beat those scores by these scores gets higher than these scores. Those, I, don't, what's, what, I don't know exactly how they come up with this. So it's very, very, I don't know, like, what the fuck? Like Ohio State and Oregon. I mean, you know, Ohio State. You know, they have Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State, and Michigan. All right. Now, what happens if Ohio State does a number on Michigan State and Michigan? And say, for instance, Oregon, whose remaining schedule is at Washington, Washington State, Utah, and Oregon State. What happens if they look putrid against Oregon State and Washington State? And Ohio State blows the door off of uh, Michigan and Michigan State. Are you going to leapfrog? Ohio State and Oregon because you would still be faced with the same, well, those guys actually played each other and Oregon won. So how much does that hold water in terms of this is the reason why we're going to keep Oregon above Ohio State? How long does that, uh, how long does that last? Does it last? How much water, how much weight does it hold? We don't know. We don't know because we have no flipping idea of how these guys come up with these um, come up with these uh, top four top four teams, these top five teams, so on and so forth. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Taking a look here. Yeah, Ohio State's remaining schedule at Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State, at, at Michigan. So two, like, heavyweight type of, yeah, this is the reason why these, we, why we deserve to be in the discussion for the national championship. Michigan State, Michigan. Those guys, speaking about Ohio State, they have that opportunity. But take a look at the best wins of the season for Ohio State. Opening the season at Minnesota. All right. Mr. Row Your Boat. All right. Beat Indiana a few weeks ago, 54 to 7. That's where everybody was like, ooh, man, fucking Ohio State. Damn, did you see what they did to Indiana on the road? Ooh, ah, oh, ooh. Indiana's 2 or 6. Stop. Please, please stop. They beat a 2-16. and 16. Smashed them. Wonderful. Then they turn around and were, I don't know, less than spectacular at home against Penn State, 33-24. So, then it, so how much of, how much do we weigh in the two games that were played in the two weeks where they were, ooh, ah, wow, against a 2-6 and six Indiana team, but they were, meh, against a top 20 team in Penn State. Who had just come off losing to Illinois, by the way, in about 15 overtimes because those ass clowns couldn't make a two-point conversion. So how what 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 holds more weight? What holds more sway in the 
eyes of those who put this thing together. Oregon's remaining schedule again at Washington, Washington State, at Oregon, Oregon State. Best win of the season is the best win for any Power 5 uh, conference school this season, beating Ohio State on the road without their two best players. So, again, if Ohio State and Oregon win the rest of their games, something tells me that Ohio State is going to jump Oregon uh, because of the Michigan State-Michigan factor. So everyone's like, well, you know, hey, Oregon, yeah, you beat Ohio State in week two, but you lost to Stanford, you barely beat California and UCLA. Meanwhile, Ohio State's rolling. Rolling against who? They lost to Oregon, were over underwhelmed at home at Tulsa. Who are they beating? Now you can sit there and say, well, you know, in the middling of the conference or the bad teams in the conference, in their conference, Ohio State has done better. Like, for instance, uh, they beat Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana by combined score of 172 to 37. Meanwhile, Oregon, who's leading the Pac-12, at least the Northern Division, they beat Arizona, California, and UCLA by a combined score of 99 to 67. So so how much weight does that pull? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then again, you got Cincinnati. They undefeated. The remaining schedule, Ohio State, I mean, excuse me, their remaining schedule was Tulsa, who played Ohio State really tough. South Florida, SMU, who's ranked 23rd in East Carolina. That's it. Best win of the season, again, at Notre Dame. And uh, look, they, you know, the rest of their victories, Miami of Ohio, Murray State at Indiana, Temple, Central Florida, Navy, Tulane. Look, they've done what they needed to do. They beat those guys by a combined score of 293 to 101. So this hasn't been for Cincinnati, like playing down to your competition. They haven't been Oklahoma who, you know, you take a look at Oklahoma. They're undefeated so far, but look, I mean, you know, you're speaking about, they barely beat a bad two lane team, 40 to 35. They played down to the competition against Nebraska and West Virginia and Kansas and had to come back late to beat Texas 55 to 48. Now they've got, um, Baylor on the road, and then they play Oklahoma State. In fact, they have Oklahoma State and Baylor on the road. Is that going to be enough? Is that going to be enough to jump these guys? What's what's going to have to happen? It's going to have to have some chaos, right, for Oklahoma to move up there, right? You're going to have to have maybe Alabama lose in the SEC chom- uh, SEC conference championship game. Um, Ohio State's going to have to beat Michigan State, so they'll be out of there. Um, I don't know. Maybe Utah can get Oregon. Um, and then Ohio State, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly the scenario that Oklahoma can, you know, use to get in there. And as I mentioned before, playing down to the competition. Okay, what happens if the next couple of games, Oklahoma looks awesome because of Caleb Williams? How much is the committee going to factor in the fact that, you know, Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams from Washington, D.C., Bay Bay, um, came in late and, you know, the Sooners looked so much better, even though you couldn't say that by them playing against Kansas. But, uh, you know, with um, Caleb Williams at the quarterback compared to Spencer Rattler, the uh, Oklahoma Sooners are much better now. Are they much better enough to be better than Cincinnati or Oregon or Ohio State or Michigan? I don't know. I don't know. In, in Michigan, everyone talks about um, Oklahoma. Well, what about Michigan? What happened to Michigan? You know, runs the table and beats Ohio State. Where did that put them? 
Now we're going to use the same thing, the same deal as, well, you know, sorry, they lost to Michigan State, so sorry. End of that discussion, as long as Michigan State keeps winning. And what happens if Ohio State beats Michigan State, but then Michigan beats Ohio State? That means Michigan would jump into, on the assumption, they would jump closer to the top four or five. Michigan State would jump, would drop because of their loss to Ohio State, but then the argument could be made, wait a minute, how in the world are you putting Michigan over Michigan State when Michigan State beat Michigan? So, I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, it's it's just, it's just something where it just gives you a headache if you speak too much about it, but I, I am happy and I am pleased that they didn't drink the um, Power 5 blue blood water and, um, you know, put uh, a team like Oklahoma, you know, um, higher than they should have. And I'm glad that they uh, did the right thing by uh, putting Oregon over Ohio State. And and again, I'm not going to flip and lose my mind and, you know, go crazy or, uh, you know, I'm not going to be doing any of that because it's the first draft and there's a lot of football to be played, and a lot of questions that we have you know, with the first draft that are going to be answered as we move along. But that's college football in a nutshell. Um, you know, don't look behind the curtain. Don't peek behind the curtain because I am the great and uh, powerful uh, Wizard of uh, Oz. Not. Last segment of the program, last segment of the podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you so much for listening because without those downloads, without those subscribes, without those followers, without those rates and reviews, I'm nothing more than a drowning man. I am nothing more than a drowning man. You push me when I'm falling. You kick me when I'm down. I guess I missed my calling because I should have been a clown. How much more? How much more can I stand? Because you're pouring water on this drowning man. That's what I'm talking about. So thank you very much for everyone who listened to the program. Really don't have too much to uh, give. I'm just going to go ahead and say a few things about the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series and uh, maybe some other things that come across the brain. And then uh, it's around, I don't know, what time is it up here? Ooh, it's one o'clock in the morning. I got to wake up in four hours. Yeah, tomorrow's drive is going to be awesome. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say a few things, get to the greatest of them all, Otis Redding. Make sure that... Uh, as always, you guys are given respect for everyone who has character, everyone who has a good heart, everyone who has nothing but love in their heart for those who deserve that love. So I hope that you're doing that. So, um, yeah, I want you to end the uh, podcast with the 
greatest of them all, Otis Redding. But before I do that, special dedications going out to the Atlanta Braves, 7-0 victors over the Houston Astros, winning the series four games to two. I don't know what to say about this man. Lacked, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to go on here and just start base, bashing uh, baseball. I'm just not. But it's like, I can't get into it anymore like I used to. I really can't. It was an anticlimactic series with Boston and L.A. been better. Maybe, possibly, probably. I don't want to be the uh, guy that's always talking about, yeah, we need the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers in the World Series or else it's bullshit. Now, I'm not going to be saying that stuff, but uh, Braves, Astros, eh, you know, whatever. Good deal. I was hoping for Dusty Baker to uh, finally get a World Series ring, but uh, it didn't happen. And for all the thoughts about the Atlanta Braves or the Los Angeles Dodgers, going ahead and winning the uh, World Series didn't happen. So the Atlanta Braves are your MLB World Series champions where you had 15 pitchers from each side going two-thirds of an inning. The art of actually being a pitcher, being a starting pitcher, being a dominant pitcher, those are those are long gone. I guess you could say the same thing with, you know, in the NBA, all you guys do is dunk and shoot three-pointers. All you do in the NFL is pass 55 times a game. The games are changing some of the rules, some of the adaptations of uh, basketball and football. I am cool with some of the things with baseball I'm all right with. One of the things that I'm not all right with is can someone please, can an organization please do something in terms of teaching a pitcher how to be a starting pitcher. Because now, because of analytics and such, it's almost like the first moment a starting pitcher gets into trouble, the first thing they're doing is looking over to the bullpen for someone to bail them out because they're so used to it. Let them work through that bullshit, man. You, you got yourself into this gym. You got yourself, you need to get yourself out of it. Now, when we're speaking about playoffs and we're speaking about World Series, it's a lot different than, say, Game 93 in the regular season of a baseball game, but still, I would like to see a pattern started where awesome number one aces can go ahead and do those type of things instead of, you know, going six, seven innings and all of a sudden the first time they throw a ball when they're dominating, all of a sudden the manager gets up and starts, you know, give me the righty, give me the righty, and they're looking at the sheets to see exactly, you know, when that pitcher falls off the cliff on their pitch camp. Kind of goes for feel, kind of goes for, you know, the momentum and other things, other situations go into play other than just looking at a stat sheet or looking at uh, going to uh, talk to a MIT nerd about, uh, you know, what the probability of those type of things and these type of things. So congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Not too much going on in the NBA. I'm going to take the NBA off in terms of really, you know, talking about this, that, this, that, and the other games, seasons, just started, so I mean, there's there's really not too much to get into as I'm recording this. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks fell to the Miami Heat, 125-110. Chris Paul had a hell of a game against the New Orleans Pelicans, still without Zion Williamson, so that still remains a train wreck. But if so far through seven games in the association, you have the Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls winning six out of seven, the New York Knicks five and two, my Washington Wizards five and two, those Philadelphia 76ers five and two, the Toronto Raptors five and three, and again you have such teams as the Milwaukee Bucks defending champions four and four, the Eastern Conference finalists Atlanta Hawks, 
They are at four and three. The team that's supposed to be winning the championship this year, the odds on favorite to win the championship this year, the Brooklyn Nets, they are four and three. Uh, let me see. New coach Rick Carlisle not turning around the Indiana Pacers yet. Two and six. Orlando stinks. Detroit stinks. At least Cade Cunningham. What did he play his foot against Orlando? That was his first game back. Did he play it against? Uh, who did he play against? Oh, he played against Milwaukee tonight. So, yeah. So, Cade Cunningham seeing his first action of the year. Um, Boston Celtics still trying to adapt to their. New coach, uh, get things rolling, but so far they are two and five. And then in the Western Conference, hey man, the Utah Jazz doing their thing at six and one. The Golden State Warriors, five and one. Lakers taking advantage of playing the Houston Rockets twice and the Cleveland Cavaliers all at home have now jumped to five and three. Five and yeah, five and three. Dallas Mavericks, four and three. Memphis, four and three. John Morant started off the season on fire. Denver cooling down just a bit. They're four and three. The Timberwolves cooling off. They've lost two games in a row. They're now three and three. Phoenix Suns defending Western Conference champions. They are three and three. And then you got teams like the Pelicans, one and seven. The Thunder, one and six. The Rockets, one and six. San Antonio, two and five. I was speaking about the Lakers. Their last uh, three games all wins, two of them being against the Houston Rockets, one of them being against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Their next game is going to be against the Oklahoma City Thunder at home. So expect them to beat the brakes off of Oklahoma City, sort of a revenge game. Westbrook fitting, starting to fit in a little bit better. Had a decent game tonight against Houston. The big three came through. I think James, Davis, and Westbrook all had over 25 points. I know LeBron had 30 um, AD had a crucial play down the stretch, which gave the Lakers a win, 118-117. <sighs> I guess the Houston Rockets at home. Okay. All right. It's still a work in progress. Westbrook had 27 points. So this is all a work in progress for the uh, for the Lakers moving forward. That's all I've got in the NBA, really. I haven't really delved into it just yet, but I will. I will early in the season still too early to be looking at trends and everything. I just hope my Washington Wizards continue to play well. Spencer Dinwiddie has um, been nice. Very nice addition for the Wiz along with Montrez Harold. So we'll see how long those two can keep it up and my Washington Wizards keep winning. All right, I'm out of here. I am done. I am going to take a shower and I'm going to have sweet dreams and then I'm going to wake up and see what I can do to make that cheddar and uh, continue on uh, my life purpose of Trying to be the best human being that I can. Not always going to uh, go ahead and do that. Far from perfect, but, uh, you know, nothing beats a try but a fail. So I'm going to uh, see what I can do to uh, be the best human being I can. And hopefully you can too. Because once again, as I get out of here, it's all about respect, man. It's all about respect when I get home. But it's all about respect when you get home. It's all about respect when you're dealing with others. It's all about respect all the way around. If we could keep that mantra, if we could keep that motto, if we could keep that thought process, if we could keep that in our hearts and our brains, man, what a great, what a great world we're going to leave for our children and our grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. So let's work on that. Wendell's World in Sports. I am out of here. The greatest of them all, Otis Redding. Please make us feel happy.